The Book Thinger podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and what happens when there's no television. This is episode 27 featuring Katrina Ramos-Atienza and Ronald S. Lim in Metro Manila. Book Thinger would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was produced and pay respects to their elders both past and present. Welcome to the Book Thinger podcast, talking about books we love, especially Welcome back to the Book Thingo podcast. I'm Kat Mayo from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. First, I want to wish you a very happy new year. I can't say this enough, but thank you so much for supporting this podcast. And if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome and thank you for choosing the Book Thingo podcast to keep you company on your daily commute or your morning jog or while doing the dishes. In today's episode, I speak with two authors from the Philippines. Ronald S. Lim is a journalist, book blogger, and co-author of the book 60 Minutes, Interviews with People Who Inspire. He also contributed a short story in the anthology Kids These Days, Stories from Luna East Arts Academy. Katrina Ramos-Atienza writes under two names. She writes non-explicit young adult and chiclet, including... Well Played, a self-published retelling of Pride and Prejudice, set in a university in the Philippines. She also writes steamy romances and romantic thrillers as Bianca Mori. I met Katrina and Ron last year while I was in Manila, and we ended up chatting about reading outside your comfort zone, male-male fiction, and steamy romance. You can find information on all the books we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 27. Hey, so I'm Katrina Ramos-Atienza. I write chiclet, YA, NA, contemporary romance. I've also been writing steamy novels under a different name. And uh, the last book that I had that came out was a suspense, romance suspense trilogy, Scorched Earth. Okay, I'm Ronald S. Lim. I've written a lot of stuff. The question is whether I finished them. But the things that I have finished are... Uh, the other one is non-fiction, so it's a collection of interviews I've had during my career as a journalist, which, which is called 60 Minutes. And the other one, I, I contributed a short story to the Kids These Days anthology, which we, which we both published independently and was also published by a local publisher here, Anvil. And you also run a book blog. Yes, theronreads.com. So uh, I think it started around 2011, although I've been blogging way before that on LiveJournal. Uh, <laughs> oh, that takes us yes, back a <laughs> A long way back. So uh, I started doing that book blog because it was suggested by my editor when I was still working at the newspaper because my beat at the time was literature and publishing and books. So it was just like I could just take the stuff I've written from the newspaper and then transfer it to the blog. So that's when he started it. So uh, when I was still in the newspaper, uh, it consisted of interviews. And then w- when uh, authors would come here, the, the events that I covered for the newspaper, I just simply blogged about it. So that kept me going for Was it the time. same? So did you just repost those stories or was it 
that the newspaper stories were sort of newspaper style and then yeah. on the blog is a little bit more casual yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more casual it's got a lot more information because obviously when you're working for a newspaper you have space constraints so a lot of things get chopped up so the the, the stuff that used to come on the blog is unedited as in everything is there so it's I don't want to say surprising, but it kind of is, that somebody who writes for a newspaper's literary column or, or section is so genre-friendly because I guess in Australia, our literary editors for our mainstream newspapers, they don't really touch romance. Mm-hmm. They rarely touch science fiction fantasy unless it's someone really, really popular. So... How do you? How did you get over the literary snobbery that sort of really pervades not just Philippine literary culture? It's everywhere, really. Mm. Well, the the thing is, uh, the section of the newspaper I was writing for was geared towards younger people, college students, high school students. So naturally, I had to read things that they were into, which were YA genre, and I mean, I I did have that snobbery. I mean, I didn't have that snobbery when I was younger. And I got into college and I was like, oh, I am a literary yeah. person. Yes. So like, I only read yeah. sad books. Yeah. <laughs> I only read turn of the century French books, things like that. So I got over it when um, my younger brother was assigned Harry Potter for uh, a book report when he was in high school. And I was like, why are you reading Harry Potter? It's for kids. And he was like, but it's good. And I'm like, I'm going to read it and I'm going to tell you why it's not good. <laughs> so then I started reading it and then I didn't sleep the whole night. And the next day when he wakes up, I'm still reading. And it's, it's like, oh, I need the book now. But it's so good. <laughs> so, so that's how I got over it. I, I realized now, you know what? This is fun. Yeah. And just because it's fun doesn't mean it's got oomph and substance and depth to it. So I got over it very quickly. Thanks to Harry Potter. <laughs> but then you also read romance, right? Yes. So that's unusual in itself. A guy who reads romance who enjoys romance. How did you get into reading romance fiction? Uh, when, when I was younger, I used to spend my summers in the province. I, I grew up mostly here in the city. But during the summer when there was no class, my, my, my parents would cart me off to Marinduque, which is like way out there. <laughs> so, so like uh, they didn't have TV. If you had to call somebody, you had to go to a place. So there's just one telephone in the whole city. Party lines. At the right? whole yeah. location. So... Your form of entertainment was either listening to radio, which was in uh, a Filipino language that I don't speak, so I couldn't understand it, or I could read the Soul Sweet Valley collection that my yes! cousin had. Yes, we started Red Sweet Valley, and I, I got up to, I got up to the book where Regina Morrow dies from a drug overdose. <laughs> don't even because, that of course, drug. because after that I was like, oh, this is way too much for me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like she just took one snort of cocaine and then she's oh, I'm and dying she and I'm like I am way too young for this I, I'm just here for the twins <laughs> this is way too much for me so I, I jumped over to the old um, my, my, my cousins also had like encyclopedias they had books on mythology so I jumped to those things when, when Regina Moro freaked me out and then after that I jumped onto Sydney Sheldon because it was there <laughs> so basically just because there was no TV right I read everything I could just to fill up those two months of basically doing nothing. But then as an adult, to actually actively choose romance books, that's a more deliberate choice, right? We're going to get personal here. I'm, 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 okay. I'm, 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 I'm gay. I grew up 
like hiding that part of me. And then by the time I got over it, I realized, you know what? I mean, the reaction to people finding out I'm gay could have been the worst thing that... Mm. And then nobody really cared. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read what I want. Okay. I find this great. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you think I'm less because of it. I like it, so... Piss off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like, getting to accept that, yeah. getting to accept my sexual orientation helped, helped give me the confidence to, let's say, if I could get over my own... The stigma then yeah. is not even close to yeah. what it could have been, right? Yep, yep. So, and I think you wrote Male Male YA for the Luna Is yes. anthology, right? And Katrina, you said that you write steamier romance under a different name. So is there a stigma to reading or writing the kinds of romance that you read and write? I have to say in my field, I, I had to do the pseudonym because, first of all, I also work in development communications. Um, and I publish that under my real name, Katrina Ramos Atienza. So... Um, if I'm working with like policymakers in a antitrust organization, and then they Google my name, and dirty stories come up, right? So, so I had to do the 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 pseudonym to be able to mitigate that. And then I also have a corporate job where I lead a team of marketers. So, you know, there's that sort of even if they say that oh it's not an issue, there's a sort of executive presence that they talk about that is a factor in leading a team. So. I, I did make that conscious decision to sort of to avoid the questions of being appropriate, etc., by just using a different name. I mean, as a, I was a journalist for ten years, and then it's not really that corporate, and they expect you to do weird stuff. <laughs> so, so like if if I write something where they're like, "Oh, that's because he's a journalist," so I never really got. But in terms of family and friends and telling them what you write or what you read, is that a problem? I think like the people close to me, there isn't a problem. But what I noticed when Luna East came out, like the first independently published one, I feel like there's a stigma from the, those who read romance. Because uh, at least from from the reviews I saw, when it got to the male male part, some of their reactions were like, I didn't read it because I don't read that stuff. Yeah. And that, I felt like, you know what, I, I grew up decades watching street stuff. The least you could do is like read a 10,000 word story. Give it a bit of time. But at the same time, I don't want to force them to read something that they don't want to read or they're not comfortable with. So that's something that's something I still struggle with. Like, Do you read mainstream male-male romance or the US marketed stuff? Yes. Okay, because I'm really interested to know then whether you feel that the mainstream male-male genre represents you. Well, the thing is like, when, when these women write about the gay experience, it's a Western gay experience. Being gay in the Philippines is something specially removed from that. So I just read it as two people falling in love. So it doesn't really matter to me if they're male or not. So And it, because it's so far away from the experience, yeah, it doesn't really matter either way whether it's how, like how they, any yeah. part of your identity. Okay, I, I mean, get that. There, there was this recent thing that came out, which was written by a, by a local author, but published internationally. And I, I had issues with the way one of the characters was portrayed, but it, it's, it was more of something personal I'm struggling with because the character was described as a slightly effeminate, which shouldn't be wrong because if, if, if you look at the Western depiction of gay men, effeminate 
gay men are always considered less, which shouldn't be. So I'm all for that. But here in the Philippines, like the only image that you have of a gay man is always effeminate. I feel like a, a characterization like that only reinforces that image. There's nothing wrong with that image, but there's more to being mm. gay than just being effeminate. And it feels like a shortcut to characterizing that person, yeah. right? But, 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 you know, I mean, I don't think she was writing it specifically for a Filipino audience, so I felt it was unfair to bring that up. So I didn't bring it up when I reviewed the book. But then, I mean, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about that because then shouldn't our reviews reflect our context? And it's the only way, really, that people outside of our context will understand that what they're writing affects more than their community. I mean, it's probably not as big an issue in heterosexual romance, but I think it is still an issue. Like when you look at Filipino romance, the flavor of it is very different to U.S. marketed romance. And I think the reason it feels different is just because people aren't used to reading these news stories, I guess. But if you don't point it out, it's like people people will never know. People just think it's like not right, I guess. I, don't, maybe I mean, because, I don't want to force you yeah. to review it in a certain way. I'm just questioning whether do we lose anything when we don't point it out? If it was a foreign author, I would point it. Maybe it's, uh, it's, okay. it's, 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 it's a thing from when I was still writing in the newspaper because my editor always told me, like, go easier on local authors. They're because they're already this, at a disadvantage. Yeah, they're right? already at a disadvantage. So if you'd like point everything that you didn't connect with out, it's going to be even worse for them. They're already competing with huge publishing houses. Since this was a local author, maybe I that layover from working where I used to work. So I I didn't treat it with kid gloves, but maybe I could I didn't go all in as I would have if it were a foreign author. Is there a growing number of male male romance and YA and fiction in the Philippines or is this still an emerging market? Well, there's a lot of male male literature, but the thing is like uh with with Filipino male male literature, it's either literary L with the capital L with the capital L, yes. like, or it's porn. <laughs> so so there, no, there, there's no there's it's no a middle pretty ground. big range. Yes, there's no <laughs> middle ground. So so like there's no middle ground. So that's something I want to f- fill up once I stop being lazy. <laughs> but that's something I, I I mean that's something I look for because I want to read stuff like that. I mean. Yeah. The capital L literary stuff is is good. Porn is also good, but sometimes you just want you know <laughs> normal people. Porn, <laughs> yeah, romance. normal people. Steam. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Katrina, you write steamy romance, heterosexual romance. Yep. Is it similar? Well, at least in my experience with reading local writers, um, the explicit stuff tends to be very literary with a capital L. Um, or porn, or, you know, the serialized that comes out in newspapers, <laughs> that kind of uh, approach. But, like, a contemporary genre, modern sort of take on the explicit romance is not done. And actually, I was surprised, because we, we had this uh, reader con, uh, the yes. convention. So, uh, we had a chance to pitch our books direct to readers. And I was so surprised when I was pitching my books to, to some readers. They were like, I don't want to read that. That's so explicit. You know, I'm just in college. And I'm like, you're 21. You're of age. You can read this. It's like what I want to read because <laughs> pe- other people won't let me. That's what I... Yeah. I know. And I was so surprised. They were really, really like... There was like a strong moral <laughs> um, bias against them. Like, I cannot read this. This is too too much for me. And 
I guess it's because I, I had a much more liberal college experience that that was very surprising for me. But that's, you know, that's the majority of the market who buys books. They're quite still conservative. <laughs> but is it because it, it's a public venue? Because I mean... I, I... It was like a speed dating setup. So it was one-on-one and then I was pitching my books. Do you feel guilty though? Like, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to sully this poor virgin's mind. I know, I, I had that feeling like, oh, I'm corrupting you. <laughs> because during my time as a journalist, like when, when, when I, when I and, and my beat was like geared towards younger people, like when you get them one-on-one and then you, when, when you build that rapport, they're just as filthy as you think they are. Probably just like, more because it's yeah. all in their mind. I think there's a, a sort of bias because it's something that you read. So reading it feels more intimate. I know these people watch like, Game of Thrones and they do all that nudity stuff. But because it's something that they read, there's a bigger stigma. And it feels like Nielsen Boone or Harlequin and probably their parents you know, told them not to read that back in the day. So. Honestly, my mom recommended me her favorite Mills and Boone authors, so I feel like I dodged a bullet right there. <laughs> uh, okay, is there a difference to you between either reading or writing sexually explicit scenes in English and in Tagalog? Ah. Because I cannot read it in Tagalog. I can't even say the word. Like, my friends were laughing at me because I was like, oh, I find it filthy coming out of my tongue. <laughs> and they're like, say the word. I'm like, I can't. And they don't understand Tagalog, so there was no reason. Like, it's not coming out of my mouth. And th- that's one thing I found out, like, in my thorough search of gay literature. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, the classy, quote-unquote, the classy gay sex is always in English, <laughs> and the filthy ones are always in Filipino. Yeah. And, Excellent. Yeah, and, and it always sounds filthier. Yeah, yeah. In Filipino. But if you translate it to English, you know what? It's not so much. (laughs) Or there's like a a social realism component to the Filipino sex scene. Like, this sex scene is a metaphor for our struggle against corporate, whatever. (laughs) You know, there's a sort of deeper level going on. That made me cross my legs. (laughs) What are my readings? Don't stop educating me. (laughs) You haven't searched well enough. (laughs) You need to go to the darker corners of the internet. Have some sex, save the world. (laughs) So, do you think that romance in the Philippines is following a similar path to mainstream US romance? Or in your case, I guess, male-male pop fiction, genre fiction. It doesn't have to necessarily be romance. I mean, we've got a really specific capital L literary game. Gay fiction. So is that capital L literary gay fiction, does that match the U.S., the Western uh, ideas of what is literary gay fiction? Yeah, which is usually coming out, coming yeah. out stories, or like fumbling in <laughs> restrooms. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah it, it mirrors it, but it's also very, Filip- it's also Filipino because like you recognize... You recognize the situations, you recognize the places, you recognize that the reactions are different if you were reading something Western. But the thing is, like, growing, if you grow up gay here in the Philippines, there's not a lot of, I mean, before Lad Lad, mm-hmm. which is a, like a really seminal collection of uh, gay literature published by Danton Remoto and Janiel Garcia. Janiel Garcia. Before that, you had nothing, you, you, if you wanted gay stuff, you had to go to the West. So I guess that's why the pattern has 
copied that of the West because that's all we've ever known, I guess. Because does that trickle down to popular fiction though, to more genre type fiction? We, I honestly have not found genre type male male fiction in the Philippines. Nothing like. So where is it represented in popular fiction? Is it in comics? Is it in movies, films? Because I mean, very stereotypical. Right. I was gonna say. I mean, I've seen some in film and TV, but it's very uh, caricature based. So I don't really find that to I, be a I, I, realistic. I, I, I did find one story, and that one was offensive to me, because uh, this, this was written by a Filipino, and then, and then the gay character, and then there's a female character, and like female character turns the gay character straight. Oh, okay. It's like, if it were that easy, <laughs> I would have been straight a long time ago <laughs> because being straight is so much easier. <laughs> but it's not. And it, it, like, it invalidates this whole experience okay. that comes with being gay, the whole struggle of being gay in the Philippines, the whole struggle of moving around as a gay man in a predominantly Catholic country with a very macho culture. So is the woman turning the character not gay, is that, do you think that's a product of the morality of Philippine society? Because in the US, they're having problems with the gay for you trope, which is, I think, the opposite, right? The, he's really heterosexual, but for this one time, he'll be gay because this guy's so hot or whatever it is. I think the turning is a popular trope. If you remember those 80s movies, Mm. You know, Sharon Conetta and Herbert Bautista, one's a lesbian, one's gay, and then they fall oh. for each other in the end. And there were a lot of variations on that um, in the 80s, I think. And it's kind of odd how that came up. <laughs> I, I guess it is a generational thing because if you look at the films of the 70s, it was more. It was very. Yeah. You can't just turn people not gay. <laughs> so right. I, I, I know something happened in between, I guess. It became comedy. So it's, I don't know whether it's just a trope that people now expect that movies have to deliver. Cause I mean, it, they're, they're, they're trying to subvert it. And I also want to bring up like Shasha Saturna by Carlo Vergara. It's a really good comic book that acknowledges these mm-hmm. tropes of gay men in the Philippines, but also subverts them. It's really fun. Okay, so let me put it uh, a different way. If we're struggling to find representations of male-male of gay male characters then is there anything around queer identity where it's even uh, harder to I guess pin down than I'm gay or I'm lesbian so when you look at the spectrum of sexual identity how, how much of that is reflected in Filipino culture in Filipino literature I guess mm. or is that a gap as well with, with gay identity there's I mean, it's it's represented in capital L stuff, and it's represented in various, like in, in all its complexity. But not everybody wants to read the capital L literary right. stuff. So, mm-hmm. with 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 the genre stuff, aside from like really, like like there's not even books. I mean, Chasha Torun is a graphic novel, so I can I mean there's that. But like a romance, MM that does not play to stereotypes. Maybe I haven't searched that hard, but I. I it's nothing. it's too hard to find. Basically, yeah, it's too hard to saying. find. Uh, so then, moving to heterosexual romance that's uh, that has explicit scenes, as someone who writes in the Philippines, is there pressure to moralize those scenes? Maybe there is, but I personally don't <laughs> feel like doing that because. 
you know, I, I think it, it takes away from the impact of what I'm trying to do if I try to put like a moral lesson at the end of all of it. Maybe another thing on my end, my explicit stuff, out of the five books, four were set in, in other countries and only one was set in the Philippines. Um, and then for that one, yeah, it was never a, a, a thing for me to, to moralize it. And there's no stigma attached when you tell family or friends what you write. <laughs> Sorry. I have a circle of trust that I tell. This seems to be coming up as a common thing where you can only disclose to people that you know aren't going to judge yeah. you, I guess. It's funny because uh, I remember last October we had the launch for Tame the Kitten, which was published by Spark Books. And that was one of my, it's set in the US and it's a, a steamy book. It came out under my, my other name. And I, I couldn't be there for the launch. And I also missed like an, a family thing. So some of my aunts from the US were here and they were like, oh, why, why, why can't you go? And then I was explaining about that. I'm actually missing my book launch as well. And they were like, what book, what book? And I was so shy, but then I had to say it. So it's actually steamy. It's in another, it's published under another name. And they were like, tell us where to buy it. We're going to buy it. <laughs> Thank you, Tita. You know? <laughs> I can tell you about my favorite. And they were telling me like, oh, your Lola used to give me Harlequin books. <laughs> so on one end, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe I feel like they won't accept it, but they're actually a lot more open than I give them credit for. So they now know your alternate ego? Yep. yep. Um, it's funny. I know a lot of uh, romance readers who uh, have this conversation as readers, not as writers. And then they find out that their moms used to love them, that their grandma. I mean, I discovered my first Mills and Boone in my grandmother's, in my Lola's garage. So I feel like that's, that's something that is common to many romance readers, not just in the Philippines. So that's really interesting. Is there a ceiling for sexual explicitness in romance fiction in the Philippines? Is there, is there a point where you think the readers will not accept it past that point? Huh. Uh, from a Filipino author. From a Filipino author. Well, me personally speaking as a reader, so of course I, I go to like the erotic uh, titles th on Amazon and there are some really weird things there like, <laughs> you know, T-Rex for, <laughs> you know, I think when you go to that point when it's like, you know, I, I, a shifter bear <laughs> and a pregnant woman, which is the a The pregnant thing. woman is the thing that, I, that broke me. Yeah, <laughs> like maybe when it comes to, when it's too weird, I think that's the ceiling because I personally wouldn't touch that but who knows maybe there's a market for that we just we just don't know because we're not writing it there would they publish it in the philippines though do you think i don't think so okay no. it feels to me like that would cross the line between what's considered porn here and what's considered i guess pop fiction although several years ago they did try publishing like erotica in filipino it was a line called lit erotica and isn't that a website yes it, it was a web it was stories from the website that okay. they that decided to publish in print Wow. And yeah, it's no longer around, so that shows you... Did you, you say in Tagalog? In Filipino language? or Some some of it is in Filipino, some is in Taglish, which is like uh, pigeon... I'm already cringing yeah. just hearing this. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're, I can read it. They're very well written. Okay. But, you know, nobody nobody yeah. wanted to go up to the cashier right. and like, yeah, hey, yeah. I'm buying this. So right. it, didn't, it didn't sell at the time because at, at the time, Fifty Shades was not... Yeah. As, as much as you like to blame Fifty Shades for a lot of things, 
its release yep. helped open the doors for all of this other better written stuff. So yeah. I don't know if it would still sell now, mm-hmm. but at the time it didn't. Yeah, I do have to say though, because I, I don't read a lot of Tagalog romance, so I can't say um, if how explicit <coughs> they go. Not very. Not very. Okay. Katrina, do you do you have a sense of where your readers come from? I think they're still mostly Filipino. Um, since we do a lot of independent publishing, it's mostly friends of friends. So people from romance class, people here. <laughs> so I think we've touched on this as well. What kinds of stories do you think uh, still need to be told? I mean, In- just like a basic male-male love story that isn't aspiring to be... Capital L Literary. I mean, just that. I would be so it's happy. enjoyable, to see happy that. Something enjoyable male, male and happy. Just like, just like a gay rom-com. I just want that. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as that. Because that's it's not even represented. So I mean, something as simple as that. And then maybe from there, let's move on to urban fantasy. All the other facets that's, that straight the genre fiction as here in the Philippines. Because like, there's nothing for gay genre. Except for Sasha Saturno, which is pretty sad because like Ladlad has been out for like three decades now and there's nothing in the middle aside from one work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's massive. A massive gap. Mm-hmm. How about you, Katrina? Uh, well, uh, well, so I've been exploring the romance suspense thing, um, but it's set in another country. So... We did another class called Heist Club, which was um, suspense in the Philippines per se, so crime fiction. Um, so that in itself is already unique because a lot of people will say that, you know, you can't write crime fiction in the Philippines because the police here can't be trusted, there's no <laughs> procedural aspect, etc. But I think with that experiment, we were able to show that, you know, there are many ways to do it. So. Tweaking that a little further, like romance, suspense, romance, crime fiction set in the Philippines, that can be another direction to explore. So tell us a bit about your latest writing project. Uh, I'm trying to expand and turn into a whole novella, the short story I contributed to Lunace. So that's something I'm working on a lot of things. That all, the, Always the question with me is, will I finish the damn thing? <laughs> because I, I start a lot of things and then... Now that I've I've got a lot more free time on my hands, I, it's something I really I'm really working on, and hopefully I finish anything by July. That's that's a target I've set for myself. And that's set in the Philippines. Yes. Right? I have two things going on. So one of them is a sort of sequel to Well Played, um, which was a Pride and Prejudice retelling. This one is sort of a Jane Eyre kind of retelling, but that kind of got way late when I started doing the trilogy, the the romance suspense trilogy. So I'm starting that up. And then another project that we're also looking at is doing a momlet. So an oh. anthology of, of mom's characters, romancy also. That's yeah. going to be interesting because I yeah. feel like motherhood in the Philippines is very different. Yeah, and a lot of the motherhood stories tend to focus on the saintly mother sort of... You know, oh, we're gonna get devil mothers. I'm already yeah. looking forward to, <laughs> or more well-rounded, three-dimensional mothers who are not all the what's that song, the Helen and whatever kind of thing. Because it's very like even if you look at our telenovelas, it's very Madonna whore. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say the Virgin Mary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 
that would be great. Like yeah. some somebody who is not just a screaming Harry died. Yeah. Somebody yeah. who isn't yeah. just. Well, yeah. I'm, long, a, I'm a screaming Harry. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you can be both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that takes us to the end of our first episode for 2017. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you check out some of our previous episodes. We've interviewed Julia Quinn, Tessa Dare, Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and a whole bunch of authors, academics, and women who are subject matter experts within their niche in the book industry. Speaking of women who know their stuff, huge thanks to our audio producer, Rudy Bremer. Without her, we would not be able to bring these fortnightly episodes to you. You can find the show notes for today's interview at bookthinger.com.au slash podcast. Just click on episode 27. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can send me a tweet at bookthinger or email me at podcast at bookthinger.com.au or record a video or voice recording and send me the link. In the next episode, I talk to Charles Tan, editor and author of Speculative Fiction. If you're a regular listener, you might recognize Charles's name because I've given him lots of shout-outs as a supporter of the Bookfinger podcast. We chat about speculative fiction and genre and the tricky issue of diversity in publishing. Until then, I hope you have a fabulous fortnight of reading.